Hello, welcome to the first ever Sportscast podcast. My name's Jordan and it's great to have you listening. Please subscribe or bookmark us on the streaming service that you're listening to us on. We are a podcast covering a wide range of sports. We aim to break down the week and the weekend's biggest events, plus look forward to the week ahead. I've been watching Formula One since I was 11 years old, and it's a sport that is really, really close to my heart. And I've also dabbled in football and golf throughout all of my life as well. And for me, my background comes from playing football, playing rugby, playing hockey. But I guess more importantly now, I just watch pretty much everything from football, anything down to golf, darts, ice hockey, anything that is remotely competitive for me. Yeah, I'd say I'm the same, but more the US side of things. So your basketball, ice hockey, American football, even college sports when it's on. Um, mainly Premier League football. Um, so we'll kick off with the biggest event over the weekend, which was, of course, the prestigious Monaco Grand Prix. A number of teams were bringing upgrades to the weekend, but most notably being Mercedes. There was an air of secrecy around the paddock as from set-up on Wednesday, the Mercedes garages had large shields to protect whatever was lurking inside. Uh, the big reveal, side pods will be back. Will it make a difference to the rest of the season for Mercedes? We will see. In other news, Lewis Hamilton's rumoured £40 million move to Ferrari was denied in an interview, and McLaren released a very nice-looking livery, a orange and white triple crown livery for the Monaco Grand Prix, to celebrate the only team to have ever won the triple crown prestigious motorsport award. Qualifying was a very interesting session. Qualifying was one of the more entertaining ones of the season too. Perez... Carrying way too much speed into turn one, crashes out in a bone-rattling fashion and will start from last place on Sunday. Stroll also out in Q2. He clipped the wall on a push lap in the final sector, but not before he'd clocked a good lap to finish, but not before he'd placed 14th on the grid for Sunday. Then it all happened in qualifying three. Probably the most exciting qualifying session of the season so far. Esteban Ocon absolutely fantastic lap, push lap, with three minutes to go, put himself on provisional pole. It was such a spectacle to see. Leclerc chasing his third consecutive pole position takes it by eight one-hundredths of a second. A minute later, Alonso also took provisional pole by two one-hundredths of a second. But then Max Verstappen went into full focus mode and in the final sector pulls a 0.3 second delta to take pole by 0.084 seconds. Absolutely outstanding that Max Verstappen has managed to pull that out in one of the shortest sectors on the entire calendar, if not the shortest section on the entire, sector on the entire calendar. Following his usual run of bad luck at Monaco, Charles Leclerc was given a three-place grid penalty, rightly so, for impeding Lando Norris on a flying lap in the tunnel. Okay, spoiler warning for the race on Sunday. I'll be honest, it was a typical Monaco race. There wasn't a huge amount of overtaking. I think you, Liam, was telling me earlier that over the last five years, or minus COVID, there'd been probably about 20 overtakes or something like that. 
Yeah, so I saw a graphic and last year there was six overtakes or so. I don't know if that was sort of net gained positions on the race or individual overtakes throughout the race. Um, so there was quite a few today, but net positions people finished in and around where they was. 2021, it was about four. 2020, I don't think it was any. I think that was the year of the horrific rain. Yeah. And then 2019, another, another four again. So it's always been single figure overtakes, sort of net gain positions as yeah. well. Uh, I feel like Monaco, Monaco and the Principality and the Kingdom and all that kind of thing, they kind of control or they kind of they kind of show the FIA how they want to run their weekend, whereas it should be the kind of the opposite way around. I, th I think as well with Monaco, you, you have to look at the track. Yes, it's a street circuit. Baku is as well, but there's plenty of long straights, plenty of places for overtaking. But at Monaco, you, you've got maybe two or three semi-long straights around by the swimming pool, the pit straight, and leading off Casino Square. But even that straight in itself has got the quite high ridge yeah. that you have to swing right to avoid. So really there's maybe two straights that you can look at and overtake yeah. unless it's out of the Casino Tunnel, which we've seen things today. Yeah, and unless you're at and centre and then you just throw it down, throw it, throw it on the inside wherever you like. But... No, I, I think the, the, the average width of the track is nine metres all the way around. The distance from the first grid box to the first corner is less than, less than FIA regulations by like 150 metres or something like that. It's shorter, the shortest circuit on the track by a significant margin. Obviously, it's all the excitement that it brings. The, the, the first 14 laps were... were just dull, really. The, the, the Max Verstappen got off well off the line. Uh, good reaction times, followed by Alonso. Um, there wasn't any really major sort of talking points. I know Nico Hulkenberg got a little bit too too giddy, probably, into the really really tight hairpin, locked up, and ended up tapping Lance Stroll, and, and that was that was really most of the excitement for the first fourteen laps. The only real major sort of talking point came. At lap 14, Sainz clipped Ocon at the Nouvelle Chicane um, and knocked his front left end plate uh, from the Ferrari. But the new FIA rules that have come in recently say that if your front wing has demonstrated to have integrity with minimal damage, which this would be classed as minimal damage, then you are allowed to continue without a black flag. The real excitement started when we reached around lap 52. Now, bear in mind, Monaco has 78 laps because it's such a short circuit. We started to see rain around lap 52. Nine cars bunched up, creeping right round. It was a little bit sort of chaotic, really. I mean, we had some cars on inters, some cars on wets, some cars on dry tyres, uh, right the way through until lap 55. I know uh, Fernando Alonso went on to dry tyres at lap 55 and then immediately had to pit for intermediate tyres. Alonso re-pitted. When he rejoined, he was 22 seconds behind Max. It was pretty much Max's race at this point. Constant bumps and scrapes and cars running around onto escape roads, but really no safety cars. Ultimately, the final results were the exact same lineup as the grid for first, second and third, which is Max Verstappen finished on the top step. Alonso second and a great result, real big shout out for Ocon and the Alpine team who finished in third and it was actually Alpine's 
50th race under the Alpine flag um, after the transition from Renault. So really, really good result from them. An update on the table standings then. So Max Verstappen leads the pack with 144 points, which is 39 points clear of his teammate Sergio Perez with 104 points. In third place, Aston Martin fans will be very pleased to know that Fernando Alonso is on 93 points, followed by both Mercedes drivers with 69 points and 50 points respectively for Hamilton and Russell. Special mention to Ocon as well, who picked up a solid 15 points today, which puts him ninth in the overall Drivers' Championship on 21 points. What do we think of the race? I think the first 55 laps or so did scream Monaco Grand Prix for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, it, apart from, really for me, the most exciting part was Magnussen on lap 18 going down towards uh, the hairpin turn where he, uh, he took over Sergeant. Yeah. last minute dive down to the hairpin but really there wasn't too much going on you had Sainz wing issue which there was never a gap there at any point you have Lando and Starry sort of getting to the points but then steadied off and then as the rain hit back into the points they're kind of a bit up and down but for me just a standard run-of-the-mill Monaco Grand Prix even when the rain hit was waiting for something to happen the only thing that really happened was Stroll growing over his wing and, and eventually just going off into an, an off-road and retiring from the race there's nothing really that happened I think one of the funniest moments for me is uh, a lap before the rain came uh, Yuki Sonoda's engineer were coming on the radio and he was saying um, you need to try and pull some distance away from Norris as he was catching and he adjusted the brake balance remotely which they can do in modern Formula 1 nowadays he, he adjusted the brake balance and Yuki was like no don't put me on the brake balance do not put me on that brake balance and then one lap later he carried way too much speed into one of the corners and ended up having to use the escape road Could have and he was not a happy man not at all <laughs> so if we move on to the Vast amounts of football we've had this weekend. We'll start with the Prem, Premier League, of who's gone down. I mean, Southampton was already nailed on, nailed on a few weeks ago. So, However, they got a 4-4 draw against Liverpool. This season, though, doesn't, doesn't seem to be a surprise result for Liverpool. No. They've conceded a lot of goals. Yeah, yeah. Leeds going down after what three three years in the Premier League, going down. But I mean they've what had two managers this season. They got a big sound with four games to go. So that's a big, that's a big ask. Four games to rescue a season. A lot, of, a lot of Leeds fans obviously disappointed, but they're saying kind of let let Big Sam do what he needs to do and, and, and regroup and, and have a couple of seasons in the Championship and then go for Premier League again. The thing is with, with Leeds this year, he had some good results. They beat Liverpool at Anfield. They put up a good fight against Arsenal. So they've, they've had some good games. It's just the, the issue with Leeds is they've got nothing, I feel, they've got nothing up top. They've got a bit of a... Um, an okay-ish defence 
very young goalkeeper, but he got replaced when Allardyce came in um, with Rob Les uh, coming in, which, I mean, he's played in the Premier League for a couple of years. He's had a spell at Everton and whatnot. If you've got no out-and-out -out striker and you concede in 70-plus goals in a season, it's, it's guaranteed you're going to go. Leicester going down as well. I mean, I... I thought Everton, personally, but Leicester going down, they won the Premier League, what, seven years ago? They won the FA Cup two years ago, and they get relegated. If Rodgers was still there. I don't think it was that. I think they let a big part of that dressing room go in Kasper Schmeichel. Um, they've, I mean, Jamie Vardy, I mean, Jamie Vardy, isn't he? You know, he's, he's, he scores. But he's getting on, they've not replaced him. So they've, they've taken two main points of your team and not replaced him with any sort of calibre who can keep you in the Premier League, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say the worst Premier League champions because obviously, of course, it's only really them and Blackburn who have ever won it and then got relegated. But it took Blackburn, well, Blackburn won it in the 94 95, but then got relegated in the 11 12 season. But in seven. So, I think they'll come, I think they'll come back up. I think they'll just bounce straight back. Um, I mean, looking at the other leagues as well, in regards to winners, you have Feyenoord winning the area division, which is impressive. Napoli winning Serie A by a big margin, very big margin. I don't think there would have been many football fans calling that at the start of the season. No, no, you, you, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to say either Juventus or one of the Milans. Yeah, and I think Juve have had a pretty poor season. Well, they've they had a they had a what fifteen point deduction back in January. They got given that back, but then only as of a few days ago, got a 10-point deduction. Not going to help. PSG winning Liga. But they didn't win it a couple of years ago, so it's not really been a an all-out sort of PSG league over the last sort of five or six years. I think they've got the capabilities to do that, and maybe there was just a few... I think there was just a few things that did maybe didn't go their way through the year that hasn't helped. I think they concentrated a lot on the Champions League, for instance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you can say the same with the Scottish League with Celtic winning as well. You know, yeah. you can say it was a dominant league, Celtic do it all the time, but of course Rangers won it a few years back yeah, on Gerrard. Celtic have got it now 11 out of 12 years. Granted, many of those without Rangers. yeah. But for Celtic, as a, as a club, it is about the Champions League and how far they go due to the finances. Yeah, and again, same with the Bundesliga, with Bayern winning it for the 11th consecutive year. Dortmund could have done it, but a 2-2 draw with Mainz just wasn't enough. Bayern scoring pretty much in the depths of it as well. That Musiala scored. Good goal as well, actually. Very good goal. Um... You've had your playoff finals this weekend. So you've had your League 2 one today, which Carlisle uh, won on penalties, beat Stockport on penalties. 
You then had Coventry Luton yesterday, which if you'd have said four games into the season they're going to be in your playoff final, they you'd, you'd have said no because they were the bottom two. I saw a stat and in 2018, both Luton and Coventry were in, were the, in the top four teams with Wickham and Accrington out of League Two. And then they both contended in the Championship playoff final. It's amazing. I mean, I think it's nine nine years, is it, since they were in the fourth division of English football? Yeah. Which is one below League Two. Now known as the conference. Yeah. Now known as the conference. So they've gone for, in nine years. They've gone from from that level to being in the playoff final to now next year playing in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, so are you saying that in the next eight years? Wrexham are going to be playing against Arsenal and Manchester United. Possibly. I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but anything is possible. And quite clearly, Luton have, have proved that. And there's been a couple of teams that haven't necessarily done it in as quick of a, of a time frame or in such a dramatic fashion from fourth division all the way down, all the way up, sorry, to Premier League. But there has been success stories throughout football, and that's why it's a fantastic game that we can all love. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, Luton, I mean, that's amazing, amazing what they've done. Uh, you've had a couple of finals coming up as well. You've got the FA Cup final next Saturday. Man City, Man United, so Manchester derby in the FA Cup final. So that's that's before the release of our next podcast. So, Will predi- be. predictions? Uh, Man City. Score? 2-0. I, I actually want... Manchester United to win because I think for them to come third this year with a Carabao Cup and then win an FA Cup Mm. where they've been since they last won the league in 2013 that is actually quite a successful season I I believe under Ten Hag and they are definitely going in the right direction so for me 1-0 Manchester United Okay. I think it will be 3-0 3-0 City. By half-time. Oh, that's a shout. By half-time, wow, okay. Um, a few days before that, you've got the Europa League final, which is uh, Roma versus Sevilla. I mean, Roma, it's Jose Mourinho in a final. But Sevilla is, this is their cup. But they're, they're Mr. Europa League, aren't this, they? This is their cup, so, so I think that's got Sevilla in all over it as well. Can still no, I can see Roma, Tammy Abraham with a winner, and then of course on the tenth you've got the Champions League final, Manchester City versus uh, Inter Milan. And I think just before we finish on football, one more shout out or a little bit of a discussion point is Newcastle United Champions League football next year. It is an influence of Saudi money. Yes. Or or re-energising a deflated team? I think a little bit of both. I think the money has helped. They've made some amazing signings, smart signings with the money. Gimaraesh, Pope, Trippier, very good, strong signings. But, I mean, it was always guaranteed, weren't it? If they were to get Champions League, everyone would go, that's the money. Yeah. That's done it. If they'd have done it under the old ownership, you'd have gone, that's very, very impressive. I think for me, listening to 
Jake Humphrey's high performance podcast with Kieran Trippier. Mm. And Kieran Trippier talking about the harmony amongst the squad and what Eddie Howe's trying to achieve there. I think with that, when you've got a, a squad of 23, 24 players all pulling in the same direction, I think we'll always outdo a team of maybe Crystal Palace that tries to lobby around one player. Yeah. When you've got 23, 24 players that ultimately, if he was saying, if one is benched, if if, if a player is benched, then they will have as much of an influence from the bench with the players as as what, around the changing room as what you would on the on the pitch. They are a team of players. Also, this weekend we had the Rugby Union Gallagher Premiership final, which consisted of Saracens and Sale. After the top four teams went after the playoff, those two teams come in in Rugby Union, top four teams, playoff final and then the winner so you don't win the premiership if you win the league you can still finish second third fourth and win the league through the playoff saracens sale saracens are are the best team in the league there's no two ways about that you've got owen farrell nick tompkins mario toji vardapolu they've got a fantastic team sale bringing in ford from uh, leicester this year, which people were a bit unsure about, but in reality, has probably been the standout player of the year at, at, at 10. They both traded early penalties early on, at half time. You had uh, Saracens up, which second half actually sailed one, but, but there was too big of a gap really for them to, to come back on. Saracens this year, 15 out of 20 wins in the league, with sale 14 out of 20 wins. Saracens in the 2021 season was actually in the championship, albeit via default. I was going to say, was that something to do with like a points deduction or money or something like that? Both. They they yeah. they broke financial fair play. So in rugby, you have salary caps. Yeah. And there was a bit of a to do with how they were getting around it. So they got relegated. Unfortunately, through the COVID season, they played in the championship, which... So when they got relegated, and did they keep though that sort of calibre of player, or did they all sort of split and go to other, you know, go to France like some of them do, and or go to other big this teams? Is, this or? is where there's a lot of inconsistencies. So the championship don't have a salary cap, so they could have thrown more money at people to keep them for the season. Yeah, so you're able. To keep your Farrell or your Atoji, say, oh, we'll keep you on the same wage, or give you a little bit more because we're going to the championship, just to come straight back up. It's like the parachute payment in, in football. Essentially, that is what happened. Yeah. However, they've kept the players, and I think as well, the players, they've all played there for a while, so there's a bit of love there. Get them back where they need to be, and within two years, they've won the league. Obviously, Saris, you know, they came up. They made the final last year. Uh, they lost that. I think for me, we will probably look at Saracens winning that league over the next few years. 
mm. consistently while they've got that crop of England players or even international players they've got people coming through they've got depth in that squad I just cannot see beyond Sarri's taking that league in the next few years they just if, if they can keep Farrell Daly Good, they've got the young scrum half coming through Varnapolu they've got the players that will see them for the next six, seven, eight years easy. So, jumping back a week or so, back to the PGA Championship from the May the 18th from Oak Hills. Just rundown of the results from that weekend before we move on to a little bit of a talking topic in Michael Block. The top three was a joint second with seven under for the weekend in Victor Hovland of Norway and Scotty Scheffler of the United States, but with a dominant second and third day at Oak Hills, Brooks Kepka wins with nine under. But I think the real story for the weekend, and I know you, Tom, uh, are into your golf a little bit, was that of Michael Block, to, to give the listeners a little bit of context if you've not heard of this guy. One of 28,000 PGA pros. Now, these pros are different to the pros that you see on the tour. These pros are the pros that... I'm saying pros an awful lot, but these pros are the heads of the golf course, and these are the ones that give the uh, juniors the training. They, they host the academy uh, academy days when, when at the local golf courses around America. 28,000, and he was one of the few selected to play at this weekend. And not only did he play, but he had an absolutely blinding weekend, and he ended up finishing fifteenth uh, overall for the fourth days. With his hole in one, that took him from two over to par. Yes, which was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it yeah. was a, it was a slam dunk. He 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 took a confident swing up and down straight to the hole. No roll, no bounce, no nothing. Slam dunk. I've been very fortunate through my sporting life, and. I've played golf with people that have played on the tour, the European tour, and and one in particular that, that still is a club pro that played on the PGA tour. And what these guys can do, and what, what, what he could do, was absolutely unbelievable to watch. The, on a par three, I'm going to do this here, and within inches, doing exactly that so to be at that level but not quite the top and let's be fair top 15 of a PGA Championship are the top of the game yeah to come in that top 15 and not even be that elite level is phenomenal and I'd not heard of Michael Block before the PGA Championship yeah Bit of a bit of an overnight celebrity, really. He, he has been successful in the past, so he I, I can't remember. I was watching an interview with him. I think it's like two thousand and eleven or something like that. He has played golf all his life, and he has been uh, a pro at his local golf course in California for uh, a number of years as well. But his second largest purse pickup was seventy eight thousand dollars, which is still not pocket change. Uh, but this time around, he did win two hundred thirty eight thousand dollars or something. Unfortunately, we're recording this on the 28th, so it's just been the Charles Schwab challenge, and unfortunately Michael Block's been humbled this time around, finishing dead last. Whether he can make a comeback and, and whether we'll see him on future PGA Tours is, is yet to be seen, but he's definitely secured a place again in 2024 for the, for the same Open at Oak Hills.
just to give Brooks a little bit of a kudos and a little bit of a shout out, that's his fifth major and he's, he's, he's third in the stroke play era on majors. He joins a prestigious club of Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods of three PGA Tour Championships. So do you feel then, at the end of his career, he'll be in the same discussions as your Tiger Woods, your Nicholson's? Do you think he'll be within that calibre? Or, or, or do you think as people kind of above him, but we don't see them as much because they're on that live golf? I think for me, in this the last 10 to 15 years of players, I think the only one that would nearly enter that conversation would, would be Jordan Spieth when he went through three or four years of winning multiple and multiple majors. Brooks has gone to live and he's done it for his family and his, him and his wife are expecting and I wish them all the very best for that. I just struggle to not accept but live tour players can play on majors but not on the PGA and I think that over time as they get used to their three-day format a little bit more entertainment based golf which is great as well I will always be a PGA fan that's my opinion I think they will start to maybe come unstuck on the four-day system <laughs>This week also saw three world title fights in the UK, which I think is probably a little bit excessive because it, it, for the fans, there's three world title fights to watch. It becomes very, very hard. You had Conlon, unfortunately lost with quite a brutal left uppercut. I think for him, off the back of his last loss, he now needs to really evaluate what level he's boxing at. Woods won on points, which, and then you had the Akoli Billum Smith fight, which for me was the standout fight, especially after Lara with Conlon had gone over on his weight, which caused him to be stripped of the title, which meant Conlon just had to win and he was world champion. But with the Akoli Billum Smith fight, you had a world title on the line with an undefeated boxer. But that fight at the Vitality Stadium, probably for me, in 25, nearly 30 years of watching boxing quite heavily, was probably one of the poorest fights I've ever seen. Was he about 19 and 0, weren't he, Akoli? Yeah, 19, yeah, 19 yeah. and 0, yeah. And the way he was hugging him the entire fight, you then think... How? I think for context here, you had... He must have had a, a, a game plan yeah. of wearing Billum Smith down late on in the fight and, and going after him and getting the knockout because the, the hugging, the leaning, the leaning, the grabbing, when in reality, he wasn't touched. He'd, I mean, he did go down a couple of times. He got, he got put down twice to the massive delight of the... Bournemouth people, it, it, he really was wearing them down. 
and the referee deducted two point points. The referee deducted two points from him with three knockdowns. And didn't you say as well? A one of the judges gave the whole thing as a draw. Yes. Which I mean, that's crazy. Again, just circling back to like the hundred and and the live tour. F recently, do 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 you not think that boxing is is less of a sport than it was? 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago, like there's not these huge headline bouts and, and you've got not only the, headline, like the lack of headline bouts, but you've also got silly YouTubers and you've also got like MMA fights and things like that and it's demoralising the sport. You, yeah, so you've just touched on something I was about to say then. So to me with boxing, you've got, you've got sort of two calibers to it as it were you've got your professionals you know your AJs usage etc and then you've got what gets put in the limelight your KSI and all that you've almost got the two formats of PJ and live you've got your boxing and your social media influence of boxing yeah and when you look at boxing now you say oh name me a boxer can guarantee someone's going to say KSI, Jake Paul, <laughs> one of these guys, because that's all that's plus all over Sky Sports. Sky Sports promoted one of those fights, and it's like they're not even professionals. They're just a bunch of social media YouTubers who are multi multi millionaires before even getting into that sport. And then you're taking it away from fights such as a Coley, Bill and Smith yesterday. I watched Sky Sports News a lot, and I didn't even know that fight was on until Friday. I think there's a new new channel, isn't there, that, that's just been launched, dedicated to these sort of... I don't know if it's dedicated to the silly fights, but it's dedicated to boxing. Dazan, Dazan is it? Dazone, yeah. D-A-Z-N or whatever yeah. it is. But they... At first, they were getting some, some good fights. It's, during Covid is where they were doing the fights that were out of Bernie Hearn's back garden. And they were some good fights. <laughs> they were literally out of his back garden. Yeah, it's hilarious. I did not know that. I yeah. genuinely didn't know yeah. that. I think it almost... Sorry, go on. The Zone is rivaled Matchroom as, as, as a platform. And they've taken anti Joshua's fights and mm. Fury fights have been on there. And initially, I, I subscribed when it used to be one ninety nine a month. It was fantastic. And then suddenly... Tenet. It jumped to, mm. to, up to a tenner, and when they did that, is when the the they didn't really get any headline fights. So for me, I I, I cancelled it because I didn't see the value in it. Whereas initially there was a lot of your Lopez's, your you you know your good American Mexican welterweights and things were in there, but it's just not there anymore. Some of these some of these YouTubers and idiot social media influencers make Rio Ferdinand and Freddie Flintoff look like Muhammad Ali. <laughs> there was another fight this week. Joseph Parker with a first round knockout on Wednesday night. Now, Parker, he lost to Joshua, lost to Dillian White, he lost to Joe Joyce in a really good fight, but does Parker warrant another big fight does he does he take on a Povetkin does he take on a Wilder there's there's a there's a 
there's a talk of Fury Joshua happening in September. Where does that leave? For me, it's Dillian White, Wilder next because he was mandatory three years ago. What, what does Parker do next? He's not quite hit that world level. But what else or who else is there for him? I mean, maybe Usage. He can have a have a crack at that. That'd be a good. That'd be a very good fight. That would you not think? Wilder White Eliminator for Usage. I think Parker Usage would be a good fight because mm. you've got a you've got a fast hard hitter in Usage coming up the weights with. Parker that's never really been troubled by a punch. No. Yeah, maybe as as you said, you know, sort of an eliminator kind of kind of thing. But I just feel he needs he needs a fight like that against Usage maybe before he gets that opportunity again against the Wilder or maybe even a Joshua again or something like that. I just feel he needs. A big name again before he gets the other big names, as it were. I think for me, we need to see the Fury Joshua fight happen. Personally, I think we are two years too late. We've gone down the Mayweather Pacquiao route again of these fights happening too late in people's career. Uh, yeah. This day and age, I understand why because people try and hold on to an unbeaten record. I don't believe Fury's done that and dodged Joshua. I think early on it was Joshua dodging Fury. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I do wish these fights sometimes would happen earlier in people's career. Also, for me, a very exciting fight was meant to happen July 1st in Liam Smith and Chris Eubank Jr. But unfortunately, Liam Smith injury has continued. That fight's been postponed and hopefully, hopefully they get that back on soon because I think for me, everything that went on leading up to that first fight, I'd love to see that again. Yeah, and I'd love to see that fight happen. Premier League darts final on the 25th. I think we're all massive darts fans, aren't we? Michael Van Gerwen officially now a record breaker. On the 25th of May, he beat Gerwen Price 11-5, which arguably in a Premier League final is a relatively dominant score. I think we'd all agree. Yeah. With a finishing average of 105.4, his victory at the London's O2 puts him past the legendary Phil Taylor, which was jointly held on six Premier League victories, into which Van Gerwen steps into unknown territory. I think, for me, Van Gerwen is probably the best player we've ever seen. I just feel that with... Phil Taylor, who in his time was phenomenal. There's no choice about it. He only really came up against Raymond Van Barneveld. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas Van Gerwen's lost world titles to Rob Cross. You've got Michael Smith. You've got Peter Wright. Gary Anderson. You've got, for me, there's more greater players around him now which may prevent him from getting to Phil Taylor's outstanding figures. But as an individual, I think that Van Gerwen is a better player. There's a lot more competition for Van Gerwen around than there was for Phil Taylor. That's why I would probably deem him a, a better player, because he's got, as you said, more very high-level competition in every tournament. And I just feel, I, I feel he will just exceed what uh, Phil Taylor did. Come
the other side of the pond, we've had a big week in some US sports, pref well, mainly around the basketball. Um, you've had the Lakers get just completely demolished by the Denver Nuggets, 4-0 in the series. Completely yeah. whitewash. Oh, 100%, yeah. I don't think anybody saw it coming because, I mean, you've got the Lakers, you've got LeBron, you've got Anthony Davis, you, you've got some good players and then you've got the Denver Nuggets. So, yeah, so that, that was back. Uh, their final game is the 23rd of May, so they've got a bit of time to sort of get ready for the finals, which, who's it going to be? I mean, you've either got the Boston Celtics or the Miami Heat. And that's gone down to Game 7. That's gone to Game 7, so Celtics beat the Heat yesterday uh, with 0 0.1 seconds to go to win it by a point. Wow. Yeah. That's down to the line. I can't yeah. think of many sports, even in Formula 1, even in all the, you know, 100 metres. I've never really gotten into basketball, but I do believe that the, the fine margins of these, these clutch throws where they, you know, they, they call a timeout, there's a second and a half on the clock, they're down by one, down by two, and they've got to make this play to hit hit the three for hit the bucket. I can't think of a sport in NFL. You've got your hail marys, and let's be fair, it's potluck. But in the NBA, these things happen week in, week out, all the time. There's not a a more exciting finish. I don't think in, yeah. in many sports. Am I right in saying? That I mean, the game rules potentially are set up to allow these these big wow finishes anyway. Because I'm right in saying if the clock runs down as long as the ball is in flight, then the point still counts. Yeah. So, kind of going back on that. So uh, about two weeks ago, it was the Celtics, Boston Celtics against Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. It was game. Three, so it was one one in the series. Game three, and the seventy sixers, which is my team, were up by two point uh, by a point, and the Celtics player got the ball off about a millisecond after the buzzer, but it went in. So they were like, oh, we've won the game, but they've had to, but but the buzzer's gone. They've had to then go to their equivalent of VAR to review it, to then say. No, didn't go in. That's how fine it can be. Because when you will then watch the slow motion replay, it's still on his fingertips just as the buzzer goes. That's how fine of a margin that sport can be. I think it's crazy that in basketball you have that kind of technology in that, that it needs. And we see it across other sports, VAR. And there's an event going on at the minute we haven't touched on today because it's still very early days in the French Open. In Wimbledon, there's Hawkeye for the line calls and things like that. In the, the French Open, they don't have it. They don't have any... Well, they've, they've had the Hawkeye for years. As long as I've been watching Wimbledon, which I, I used to watch it with my, my grandparents, which probably you're talking 12 plus years ago, they've always had this Hawkeye technology. It is a very basic one compared to... But it's not a... It's not a sports technology. It's, it's, a, it's a 
venue technology. They yeah. don't have it across all all the the venues. Yeah. So, with, I mean, which your basketball can and does help. I've 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 seen finals go down to that technology. Yeah. And titles be decided off of that technology. I it's, think te- te- technology in sport is definitely a conversation that we could fill an entire podcast with because there's there's just unbelievable advances in technology, but that not only allow us to regulate the game, but also to understand it in terms of analytics. Well, to understand the game, the games that we enjoy in such intricate detail, which adds to the enjoyment, in my opinion. Yeah, so kind of touching back on one of my previous topics, which was football. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen La Liga next season aren't using goal, side, uh, goal line technology. And it's all over 3 million. 3 million euros. Which in that elite level of sport is such a drop yeah. in the pond. Yeah, that's, that will even cover Vinicius Junior's wages for half a week, probably, <laughs> kind of thing. It's... And they're not. Going and they're to not using it. it. Yeah. But do you, do you think then? And I don't know whose decision that is up, up the board and things like that. I believe if there's if you put it to a vote with the Premier League, the Premier League's owned by the clubs. They become stakeholders of the get relegated and promoted. If that was put to the clubs to bring in that technology and not the FA, do you think that would get demolished from the Premier League? Because I know I certainly would. Goal line technology. Or VAR. VAR is a general. VAR, yes, because there's some very ropey decisions. Goal line technology, no, you'd, you'd keep it 100%. 100%. Yeah, so with the Stanley Cup, then you've got the Golden Knights leading their series against Stars 3 2. They play on our Tuesday morning, i.e., America's yeah. Monday night. Um, the Panthers actually. They beat the Hurricanes uh, 4-0 in their series, so the Panthers are through. So it's really just to decide the Knights and the Stars, which, of course, if the Knights win on Monday night, i.e. Tuesday morning, it's going to be a Panthers-Knights final, which, for the Vegas Knights, will be very impressive because they're relatively a very new team. They are rel- very new. Definitely very new. The last six, seven years? Uh, well, you've been to the stadium, I, yeah, haven't so you? I went to the very first game that the Knights played when they opened at the stadium uh, in Las Vegas, obviously. And I think it was 2000 and... It was seven years ago. I can't remember. I have to work it out. But they are a relatively new team. So to achieve achieve what they have achieved in such a short amount of time, to be able to play in, in the Stanley Cup final is, is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And as well, this evening while we've been recording this, Canada have won the IIHF World Championships against Germany 5-2 in the we saw quite a very physical, exciting game as well. Very, very good game. But again, Canada winning ice hockey is like saying water's wet, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I'll be honest, it's like Scotland winning the Elephant Polo World Championships. So that's it. Our first Sportscast podcast roundup of, of last week's sports. We've looked ahead to a couple of bits that's potentially happening in the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all your support. Please subscribe and bookmark us on the relevant platform that you're listening to us. And we would really appreciate if you were to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SportscastPodUK. 
And if you've got a, and if you've got a topic of conversation that you'd like us to cover, or you'd like to leave us your reviews or opinions, please give us an email as well at sportscastpod at gmail.com. I've been Jordan. I've been Liam. And I've been Tom. And you've been listening to Sportscast Podcast. Thank you.